the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A new bill out of Florida, and later, 40 pieces of advice for the Christian life. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good on this Wednesday afternoon. So glad that you're with us today. My co-host Brian Fromm is still on vacation, and so I am joined by my special guest co-host who was with us yesterday. That is my friend, my neighbor, author... Speaker, talent extraordinaire, Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. I brought my Superstore mug like I said I was going to oh, do. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk I about am, Superstore later on in the show today. I am so that'll ready be fun. to be here. Well, we are so glad that you're here. I will actually be on vacation Thursday and Friday, so Brian's going to take over the show. So we kind of gave each other, we kind of covered each other this week so we could each have a That's little good. bit of a July 4th week vacation. So it's fun, but very thankful that you're with us today and uh, would love to invite you to Go to our social media at Common Good Talk. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We love engaging and connecting with you there. Catherine, yesterday, some breaking news out of Florida. Uh, Governor DeSantis signed a political view, uh, excuse me, a political bill, excuse me, uh, requiring a law. Let's start over. I'm going to start the whole thing over. Do, 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 do. So, Catherine, something kind of controversial came out of Florida yesterday. Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill requiring Florida students and professors to register their political views with the state. The argument that this Whoa. is in an attempt to promote intellectual diversity on campus campuses. But of uh. course, there's some concern about, you know, people's privacy protections and what will these results be used for, etc. cetera. Uh, did you hear this story? And if so, what was kind of your initial response to it? Aubrey, I did hear it. Um, I, you know, I decided to kind of dig a little deeper because the headlines weren't making a lot of sense to me. Mm. I was hearing that this is part of a nationwide push to promote intellectual diversity on campus, but forcing professors and students to identify their various beliefs and aspects of their worldview, making sure that they align with the legislator, that does not seem to be in keeping with that value. Uh, it seems really dangerous to me. So I actually want to get your opinion because you've been in HR for decades. I have. And I don't know if a lot of people know that about you, that you you are human resources uh, professional. I, uh, yeah, I was. I'm not now, but for 17 years, I did human resources. And you did it at a nonprofit organization, a Christian oh, nonprofit mm -hmm. organization. Did your HR like red flags go off at all when you heard this? Uh, yeah, I I think so. You know, these are public universities, I believe. Again, I would want to dig pretty deep to mm -hmm. make sure I understood sure. this from of course. from a factual level. But um, if we are going to make professors go on record about what they believe, because this it 
based on the bill's language, the responses are not necessarily going to be anonymous. Um, there's concern then that staff or professors could be targeted or held back mm-hmm. in their careers or even fired right. for their beliefs, which whether or not that's legal from an HR standpoint, you know, it probably could be yep. um, based on this law, of course. Um, but is it how does that promote intellectual diversity? Mm. That sounds like intellectual control mm. to me. Yeah, it will be interesting, I think, too, to see like does funding follow, you know, that that kind of thing mm-hmm. as this law plays out, what will mm-hmm. it look like? I think I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a minute. I okay. Is there a place where this actually does allow for diversity like like they go oh we are way too highly staffed with uh, those on the left in the middle on the right Hmm. this is good information for us we need to staff accordingly so that there actually is balance and diversity do you think there's any world where that actually exists and that's the result of this bill you know, I think that puts away too much optimism in in human nature. Yeah. Um, I think part of what makes our society strong is we say free speech for everyone, freedom of religion mm-hmm. for everyone, um, freedom of ideas for everyone yeah. with some obvious, you know, boundaries, yep. of course. But if I'm going to say, you know, I, I want people... <sighs> If we might start in one direction, trying to allow for a certain type of person to have more of a platform, yep. but that can so easily backfire on us, and we end up with the opposite of what we're what we're going for. Mm. I, it sounds like I'm, words are coming out of my mouth, and I'm not really saying anything. Well, but. no, I mean this is a brand new bill, so we're st- we're still trying to make sense of it. But I, I think there's there. I, I think you're right that it does, um, assuming this will only be like, yes, this is for the common good. We want balance. We want diversity is probably putting too much stake in like humanity, humanity in general. Right. What's interesting is that in a conversation with the Miami Herald, uh, Barney Bishop, who was one of the top lobbyists pushing for this bill, um, kind of was talking about some of the justifications behind the measure and said they were less about intellectual diversity and more concerned mm. with maintaining the country's conservative Christian identity in the face of a younger, more diverse generation that share a dimmer view of religious right-wing orthodoxy. So I think what they're saying is that because it seems like in the educational system, especially in the academic world, things are going more quote-unquote left, they're hoping to have more representation of the right. But what's interesting is they say that uh, this guy Bishop, Barney Bishop, said he certainly hopes this effort would expand and through K through 12 system over time. And that, um, you know, that gets on shaky ground to me as well, because now we're talking about uh, younger kids being influenced this. We're getting into grounds of like indoctrination and ideology. And so I don't know. I I think this is going to be... This is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I, I worry about anyone being required to publicly declare their political point of view or if it's a faith point of view or something like that, how that could backfire against the very people who are trying to even do this to like 
bring about more conservative Christian measures. Well, this is the very same thing that Christians say, like, we don't want. We don't want you pointing us out or calling us out or identifying us because of our political or faith viewpoints, because we assume there's going to be oppression because of that and hardship because of that. So I think this goes back to what you were saying, Catherine, like, let's be careful of the very thing we're fighting for not being the thing that actually ends up imprisoning us in the end. Yes, yes. And, you know, having sort of marketed this, at least in this article that we're looking at, Mm -hmm. as a step towards intellectual diversity, this fellow bishop that you are, um, who was one of the top lobbyists for the Mm -hmm. bill, comes right out and says that what he's hoping will happen is that we will uh, move away from liberal ideology and secularism and back into a conservative identity um, for children and for students. Um, and that is not the same as intellectual diversity. That's actually very much the opposite. So yeah, uh, yeah. going to be interesting. Catherine, a place that Brian and I like to consistently go to is Tim Challey's blog. Tim Challey's is a, he's a pastor, he's a thinker. And part of the reason why Brian and I like Tim Challey's, and this is going to sound a little strange, but hear me out. Tim Challey's had a son who I believe was in his very young 20s Hmm. who dropped dead. And it's a devastating tragedy that Tim has written about very vulnerably, very beautifully. And I don't know about you, Catherine, but I tend to um, I tend to give a lot of gravitas to people Hmm. who have earned it. Do you know what I mean? And so people who have been through suffering and yet have remained faithful, I just find that their words hold so much weight. Yes. And there aren't a lot of lives untouched by pain and sorrow, especially as we get older. But I I will say, like, if you're comparing sometimes these sort of, like, I'm going to be stereotypical stereotypical here, but... um, (laughs) Uh, I communicate for a living. I can say words. Um, (laughs) If you're comparing sort of like the trendy, shiny influencers that Mm. maybe haven't like suffered and you're comparing a life that, you know, someone maybe not have the influence or the platform of these influencers, but like they've known pain and yet they have like endured all day long. I'm going to follow that person. That's who I want to learn from. That's the life I want to emulate. I'm close. Oh, go ahead, ahead, Catherine. I was just going to say, I'm close to someone whom I won't identify on the air, but who has walked all the way to death's door Mm. and then was uh, brought back very surprisingly. Wow. Uh, A long, long journey towards death and then has, has, was saved. Wow. Um, Very literally. Uh, And when she talks about God's goodness Mm. or about God's faithfulness or about the meaning of life or about suffering or about praising God during dark times, I listen because I know there will be no platitudes. I know that she has walked all the way up to the door of death Mm. with God's Mm. neck with God right next to her and then has come back. And um, yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. So Tim Challies is one of those people. And so a, okay. a while ago, Tim Challies published something called 40 Pieces of Random Advice for the Christian Life. And Brian and I actually talked about that. But then he did a follow-up 
40 more pieces of what? random advice for the Christian life. This is over at his blog, Chalice.com. And again, because of the life he's lived, I want to hear his advice. Yes. So, um, Catherine, we're not going to get through all 40, obviously. Uh, listeners, if you want to, you can go to Chalice.com. But I thought we would just share some of them and then you and I can un- unpack them. So okay. um, here's something. This is one of the first ones. And this is something Kevin and I actually say all the time says one of the best ways to show love to your friends is to show love to your friends children take yes. an interest in them love them and be a friend to them and kevin and i talk about that all the time like if there's a especially kind of a young mentor quote unquote cool adult that's going to pour into our kids like we will like we will take you to dinner we will pay for your college we like whatever hmm. you know that makes us feel loved and and helps us know like you're the kind of person that we want around our kids now of course yes caveat like be careful about who wants to be around your kids but like if we're talking true friendship and like godly healthy influences i think that's so true so aubrey are you saying you're gonna pay for my kids college yeah because you are good to my kids yeah no no no, i'm gonna pay for your college i'm not gonna pay for them i'll pay for you (laughs) so if you want to go back you let me (laughs) okay all right here's another one that really stuck out to me in your personal devotions try listening to the bible if you typically read it or try reading the bible if you typically listen to it Mm. both are good and modeled in scripture each engages the mind in different ways Mm. and this struck out to me because as an MDiv student right now, I'm realizing how much of the Bible was either first presented orally yes. or read as a letter. Yes. And I love the chance to hear it that way. There are, I think, two, like, um, there are cues and clues in the text that we miss when we just read it. But when we hear it out loud, some of the, like, artistry, some of the word plays, some of yes. the ways we're nearer each other, you go, oh, man, I've like missed this whole piece of this story yes. because I didn't hear it orally. I didn't understand what this author was doing. So I, I think yes. that's really good. I, I love that, too. Um, OK, here's another one. This one is interesting. Understand that if you will only follow those in positions of authority over you when they do the things you want them to do you're not actually submitting to their leadership. Sometimes submission to our leaders means joyfully following their leadership, even when we disagree with it. And then he puts in parentheses, this is not the same as saying we should obey our leaders when they tell us to sin. This one, I think, strikes me, Catherine, as a church leader, because Kevin and I have seen, especially in COVID, and Brian and I have talked about this a lot, people who, you know, because of decisions we made or didn't made or what have you, by the way, never having led in a pandemic before, People yeah. just like immediately left the church in anger or they just ghosted mm. the church because they didn't agree with. And Kevin and I were constantly shocked at, and we're not the type of leaders who are like submit to our authority, but we were constantly shocked at the one, the level of ease in which they left a church family and a body. We were yes. constantly surprised personally at like the level of, I mean, like some of these folks we have we baptized them. We dedicated their kids. We'd done their weddings. We'd done their funerals of their family members. Like we had poured into them and the ease with which they were able to leave after that level oh, of engagement was really painful. But then I think part of it was like, oh, do you, are you only able to 
submit or be under the leadership of someone you agree with all the time wow, wow. without even having grace for the season. Like, oh, maybe this is a season of our church that won't last forever. That was shocking to me. So I think this is actually a really, um, this is sort of in my mind, a church consumer piece of advice. Like don't be a church consumer, yes. like stay with your body, stay with your leaders. Of course, if it gets corrupt and sinful at that point, you absolutely right. should leave. But, um, I, uh, I appreciated that piece of advice coming from a church yes. le- as a church leader myself. So good. Well, here's another one for parents um, that struck me. It is a wise habit to pray for your children with your children. Mm. It is a blessing to children to hear your heart for them. And then he goes on to say, you know, also pray for your spouse with your spouse, for your church, with your church, and so on. It has struck me before that so much of the spiritual practices that I do, I do privately. You know, we're told to have a quiet time or, you know, to come away, like take a personal retreat or, um, but I've realized that my children are missing out on seeing me Mm. pray for them, missing out on seeing me study the Bible. And how can I kind of do that more just out in the living room, yeah. you know, how can I, how can I pray for my children with my children? Yeah. How can I read the Bible in front of my children? That kind of thing. Mm. That's, that's something I've, I've thought about a lot. That is so, that's so good. I love, I love that one. Cause you're right. I think I do. I, I know I do so much. I get up early. I read my Bible and are, am I doing it with my children? I, I love that thought. That's a good one. Here's another one. And we'll end with this. This is actually something I read about right. in my book, the louder song. When someone suffers a sore loss, grieve with them and offer them your condolences in a way that is appropriate to your relationship. This is the key. But then also put the anniversary of that loss on your calendar and get in touch with them a month and in a month and a year later to say you remember them and are praying for them. Isn't that beautiful? It's so simple. But I think that is such a wonderful way to love people. Yes, it is. And we do kind of lose track. You know, we'll say... I'm going to follow up with this person. Mm-hmm. This is this matters. This is important. I feel it. But yep. then so many other things come up. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's a human tendency. And that's okay. But to put it in your phone, I think, is an intentional act of love. Catherine, we just love having you here on The Common Good. You fit in so seamlessly. So, Brian Fromm, you just stay on vacation if you want to. Yeah, you watch out, Brian. <laughs> I'm, I'm here with my mug. I, th- I don't know if I've told you this, Catherine, but Brian will tell me that he, you know, sometimes when he's out of town and you and I are doing a show together, he'll turn it on just to hear us. And in inevitably that's the moment he turns on when you and i are like yeah brian don't come back he's like aubrey come on brian brian we love you we're grateful for you but Catherine, it's nice to have you in the house oh well it's so good to be here brian thanks for making a little space for me today i hope you're having a great vacation that's right great vacation well uh, i thought Catherine, since you and i are both professional writers yes sometimes i kind of forget about in fact somebody actually had me edit a um you i know do a lot of freelance editing somebody had me edit edit just an essay they were writing for grad school and i was like you know said it and they were like how did you do this and i was like i think i forget yes as a professional writer you just actually have a lot of experience and a skill set that you don't even necessarily realize you have We've got skills, We've Aubrey. Got it's skills. true. So yeah. I, I'm uh, I'm celebrating us a little bit because I know that there are a lot of people out there in the world who either want to start writing or just want some ignition for their creativity or maybe they want to tell their story and they're not exactly sure where to start mm. or what to do. So I thought we could have a conversation uh, from our own experience as writers and storytellers and communicators like, 
what are the best pieces of advice we have maybe received or that we would give when it comes to somebody who wants to create, and I'm not necessarily saying you need to write a book, but like you want to create some content and put it out into the world. Um, so Catherine, can I put you on the spot and have you start or would you rather me share? No, I'm happy to. I'm asked this question a lot, actually, because I do market myself not just as a writer, an author, a speaker, but also as an editor mm-hmm. and a coach. So and I do you are work a great with other... editor and a coach, by the way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of writers and authors and even publishers to, um, and even agents yep. to get somebody's writing to the place that it needs to be. So I, I end up answering this question a lot. I do think that writing... I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. Okay. And she can't say who it is, so we're not going to say it. But you guys, sometimes Catherine works with famous people and helps them woo, woo, with woo. Their, get their writing where it needs to be. That's true. Okay. That's true. It's kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, so... I do think that writing, if you want to write, if you have the urge to write, you don't have to be a famous published author to enjoy and benefit from the practice of writing. So So I think my first advice is if you want to do it, do it. Mm -hmm. But then my kind of hard hitting piece of advice, because it is, it can be hard. Uh, The advice that I give myself (laughs) almost every day is 500 words because Aubrey, you know, like I'll be looking down a 50,000 word book deadline. And how do you even, how do you even Mm. face that when you have that blinking cursor on an on an open page. What I always say to myself, and I recommend this to other people who inevitably come back and say, that was it. That was the magic Mm -hmm. I needed. Catherine is don't tell yourself I'm going to write for three hours. Don't tell yourself I'm going to write a chapter. Just say, you know what? I'm just going to get 500 words down on the page. And then if I want to, I can be done because what inevitably happens is that by the time you get those 500 words down, which is nothing, 500 words is so little, then you are off. Like your mind has been kindled. You have ideas. You want to explore something. So it's kind of a trick. It's kind of a mind game. But I say to myself, I know I'm not feeling it today. I know I don't have any inspiration. I don't know where this is going, but I'm just going to do those 500 words. Just going to sit down and write those 500 words. And I I think along with that is like, don't overthink what those 500 words are and don't edit yourself as you write them. Just write them. Just get them out. Just write. And then you write it. begins to unlock something in you where you're like, oh, actually, maybe I have more than 500 words to say. Oh, actually, now I know what this is about. So that's a really, that's a really good piece of advice. I'll share some things. I I think one of the things that you have to do, Catherine, and this goes back to what you were saying about like, if you want to do it, just sit down and do it. You know, just Mm -hmm. don't necessarily worry about your audience. Don't necessarily worry about getting published. Just start the work of writing. Like the craft in and of itself, I think is really important and just good to be creative and artistic. You image God in that way. I think there is a piece almost before you like put your hand to the keyboard, which is you have to silence the voices in your head of shame or the voices of whatever Mm. saying, I can't do this. My brain doesn't work this way. I shouldn't do this. Who do I think I am? I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. What will my X, Y, Z think of me? What will like you have to somehow and I'm not saying that's easy. I think praying before you write is really helpful. Um, I think it's Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Anne Lamott who talks about taking all of those 
negative things in like you put them in a jar and you close the jar at least while the hmm. at least while you're writing and then if you have to open the jar later fine but at least yeah. while you're writing yeah. you put all the critical voices in the jar you close it i used to imagine that i was like also throwing it outside into the fire pit in our backyard so i didn't have to hear Good. any of those voices i think that's a, that's a critical part of the piece as well and partly i i do think there's a spiritual battle at work because creativity is imaging god and so i mm-hmm. don't think even in this world wants you to do something creative and and make meaning and do something beautiful because evil wants us to exist in chaos and so to be able to um do something creative is actually putting goodness in the world it's imaging god in a powerful way so i think there's some spiritual warfare honestly to be done there i also think this goes back to what you're saying too about just like um Some of the work is also just like reading good books. So Mm -hmm. you're familiar Mm -hmm. with what good writing is and sounds like. And and when it's in your mind, I think that actually inspires you to write better. Like some of those really Mm -hmm. good writing inspires other really good writing. And then I do think when you're at a point where you're ready to like share whatever you're writing with the world, however you want to, whether that's just a post on social media or a blog or pitching an article or something like that. I do think there's a sense in which you need to know what the conversation is yes, about absolutely. that topic mm-hmm. so that you're entering with quite a bit of know-how and wherewithal and you understand what the other voices out there are saying. That gives you, I think, a level of expertise and like those in charge, quote unquote, the editors, the publishers will respect you for like knowing what the conversation is. Does that make sense? I agree. Yes. And I think... I think we can get bogged down here because we'll never read every article, listen to every podcast, read every book that has covered a particular topic. But, but the other side of the pendulum is that if we just sort of say, add our voice to an ongoing conversation without showing that we are aware Mm -hmm. that the conversation is going on and that wise and thoughtful people have contributed nuanced material, then we're weakening yeah. Um, what we're bringing. You know, when you said Anne Lamott before, I thought about her classic advice, um, which I can't say verbatim on air, but it's about writing initially a, shall we say, crappy first yeah, draft. Yeah, right. You can't say her actual word, but crappy first draft, uh, you could say. And that has been very freeing for me yeah, also. Yeah, that's such good um, advice. I, I write a chapter and then later I write it again yep. and then later I write it again. Yep. And it's like the first time through, I'm just putting the raw materials out on the table. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, I want to talk about this and I'm going to have some things about this and I'm going to tell some stories about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't try to wait for the words and the phrases yeah. to be beautiful and right mm-hmm. in my head before I put them out there. Yep. Uh, I can do that later. Yep. I can make it pretty later. I can make it sound and I do. Mm-hmm. I go back and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make it strong and beautiful and compelling. But the first time through, you just got to get the materials out Such there. Such a great piece of advice. And there yeah. have been so many times when I have, Catherine and I have this little phrase that we use with each other, like, don't let me go to prom with toilet paper coming out of my dress. Yes. So for instance, I will send Catherine one of my crappy first drafts. And she'll be like, okay, here's where you need to do that. Here's where you need to do that. And then I can go back and make it beautiful. So I think also having a friend or a a partner in writing is is really, really helpful part of the process. And being willing both to hear and to give the hard feedback. Mm, Because, Aubrey, I would rather hear it from you than from 
a critic the random the, the random critic mm-hmm. on the internet yeah who you may hear from anyway but at least you know you've done the hard work and yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> exactly so i would say if you feel like god calling you to share your story or write your story just go for it uh the world needs to hear your story and so i Catherine and i would both be cheering you on um, Absolutely. if you want to start doing that uh Catherine, I will actually be out of the studio tomorrow and Friday. So Brian's going to have a, a common good takeover. Um, but, he, you know, he's not going to have a special guest like you. So I feel like he's missing Aww. out ultimately in the end. Um, For sure. So, Catherine, one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter, especially over the past several years, have been Beth Moore, who oh, I feel yes. like if you just if you just say Beth on Twitter, everyone knows who you're talking about yes. at this point. Like she, Sister Beth. Sister Beth. She has made a she has made a I don't want to say she's always had a name for herself. So I don't want to say that. But she's she's made a name for herself on Twitter because I think people have she been has. surprised by like her ferocity and her prophetic voice. Yes, I think indeed. there were some, some uh, unfortunately, very wrong stereotypes about Beth Moore that she was sort of this frilly, girly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of southern. Yeah, and she's, I don't think people realize her intellect, her sharpness, her depth that she's always had, but has especially been on display because yes. of the platform of Twitter. Like it's yes. just given her a unique mm-hmm. space, I think, to use her voice. Yes. And um, she's actually, she has a new 31 day, a prayer uh, devotion okay. that she's coming out with, but she just tweeted about it, Catherine. And I thought it was so interesting because what she says is she's convinced to her core that much of our misery and discontent is a discontentment is tied to relentless self interest. And here's, here's oh, what yes. she shared. This was from the intro to this 31 day devotional. She says um, that we are going to practice a strong and deliberate shift in our prayer strategy from our and our loved one's interest to Christ's interest, Hmm. because what is in Christ's best interest will ever be in ours. It may not always feel like it, but it's an immutable fact, and we'll see it on Hmm. stunning display, the renewal of all things. God is accomplishing and will accomplish what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived for those who loved him. And then she goes on to say, if we could characterize our present culture sociologically with one overarching description, it would be grossly explicit self-interest. And then wow. she talks about how we are going to push back against, we need to push back against self-interest and begin praying Christ's best interest prioritizing his will above all else and in doing so experience a kind of unity amid our differences that would be a palpable relief and a healing balm to our fractured circles of faith and here's what she's calling us all to surrender Catherine. she says we need to surrender our side taking polarizing rivalries are canceling and constant dissenting on issues we'll place our opinions preferences partialities partialities prejudices hidden agendas and all other forms of selfishness on the altar we're going to seek to align our petitions and affections with christ's interests broadening our scope far beyond our smart small corners of the world i was struck by that alone and that's just like the intro to her 31 day devotional because i think she's putting her finger on the pulse of so much of what's going on right now in our nation and what needs to change. I absolutely agree. I am struck 
almost every time I pick up the Bible, how the prayers and the songs that are given there are so centered on, on Jesus, mm. so centered on God, God's goodness, yeah. God's work, God's glory, Jesus, uh, the incredible mystery in Jesus that we are in Christ, all that Christ has done, that Christ will be glorified and comparing that to our own prayers and our own songs, which I have jokingly uh, described as saying we worship ourselves and we love God because he worships us too. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. I was just reading a friend of mine named Micah Fries just retweeted a Tim Keller quote, which is something like, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but something like if your God never disagrees with you, that's a God you've made in your own image. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, there's some truth to that. Brian and I actually always talk about that too, Catherine. Like we feel like the, our least favorite worship songs are the ones where we're like, wait, am I singing about God or me? I feel like I'm singing right. about myself right now. Oh, <laughs> again and again. Me, me, me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. So oh. this is interesting to me thinking about how our self-absorption and our self-interest and our making God in our own image is really kind of part of the problem of what we're seeing right now yes. with the division and vitriol and heartache yes. in the world. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I haven't heard. I mean, this. she's one of the first people I hear saying that and naming it as such. Interesting. And, you know, God's not a egomaniac. Right. I think I think sometimes we assume that well if God wants us to talk about God and not talk about ourselves so much, uh some God must be narcissist, mm. maybe abusive, mm. you know, possibly toxic. Yeah. But I think God knows that God is synonymous with love. God yeah. is synonymous with goodness. Yeah. God is synonymous with beauty. And so when we are intentionally practicing putting our eyes and our mind and our language on goodness and love and beauty, that's actually what we need. Mm. That actually does fill us. That does inspire us and heal us. And it uh, it aligns us to live our best life yeah. um, more than constantly just thinking about ourselves yeah. does. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Brian Zond, who we've had on the show before, he's responding to Beth Moore's tweet, and he said, whatever is anti-human is anti-Christ. Second John 1-7. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, you know, when I saw that, I... I paused because I really respect his work mm-hmm. just as I respect Beth Moore's yeah. work. Um, I wonder if there's a misunderstanding happening here because I don't see what she's saying is anti-human. Right. You know, there has also been long cultural moments that have lasted for centuries in which people were told, whatever you're feeling, don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're wanting, don't want mm-hmm. it. Um, and that has been very detrimental. Yeah. Uh, and, but I don't see Beth saying that. No, I don't either. And I I was trying to figure out, was he agreeing with her or was he disagreeing with her? I was a little, I was a little thrown off by that statement as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because I, I agree with you. I didn't think, I thought she was, she was not saying anti-human at all. She was saying like, let's almost be the most human we're meant to be. That's humans who live like Jesus. Because that's God's goal for us ultimately in our humanity is that we become humanity that looks and acts like Jesus Christ. And I felt like that's what she was calling us to, like the best version of ourselves, the most Christ-like version of ourselves by dethroning ourselves ultimately. Yes. And so I think maybe he was disagreeing. It felt a little like vague. And maybe purposefully so, but I, I didn't, I, I, I brought that up intentionally because I wasn't sure if I was misreading that or not. Yeah, I was confused by that too. But you know, also, 
you understand, Aubrey, as a writer, as a content creator, Mm -hmm. we view so much of what we see through the lens of the thing that we have spent a year or two researching, you know, like (laughs) I I look at this and I think, wait, why didn't she read Fearing Bravely? Because that's what I'm talking about in Fearing Bravely. I'm guessing that somehow this out of context quote that she's provided maybe triggered something that he has spent years researching in depth. that's probably true. But if they sat down and had a long conversation, I think they would see eye to eye Yeah, that's probably accurate. Here's uh, one more thing from Beth Moore, and then we'll close. Uh, She says, I'm convinced to my core, much of our misery and discontentment is tied to relentless self-interest. You don't need a resource to change the way you pray, just Hmm. a made-up mind. So we need God to make up our minds to... Uh, be a little less self-interested and more uh, interested in the things of Jesus. Catherine, uh, Brian always makes me say, hump day when it's <laughs> Wednesday. Do you know that commercial from Geico? I didn't know the commercial until Brian showed it to me. I promise you that I will die without ever having that phrase come out of my oh, mouth. Oh, I was about so to invite you to you, say it. I no. was about to invite you to take that role and say, hump no. day. I decline, okay. but I right. am happy to smile fondly at okay. you while you right. say Well, it. I won't pressure you on this Wednesday to say hump day. <laughs> um, well, Catherine, we, we've had a friend, Lisa Harper, on the show before. She's an author. She's a Bible teacher, a preacher, yeah. just a woman of God. And she was preaching over the weekend at uh, Stephen Furtick's church, Elevation Church, and did a pretty powerful message on humility. I want hmm. us to take a listen to a couple minutes from her sermon, and uh, you and I could talk about about the power of humility. So let's go ahead and take a listen. But at 58, what I'm learning, I keep saying 60, because 60 is just like a little over a year away for me. And so I keep saying 60, so I'll get used to it. The thing I love about this age isn't just the discounts at McDonald's. It's that I can look back over 50 years of walking with Jesus and I can go, you know what? It's really not about my capacity. It's about his compassion. It's not about whether I have it all together. It's about Jesus. What I'm learning, and I'm a slow learner, but what I'm learning, y'all, is if you really want to access intimacy with God, if you really want to commune with God, the key is humility. And Rick Warren says it well. I usually attribute this to C.S. Lewis because it sounds like something Sir Lewis would say. It's actually Rick Warren, pastor in California. He says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. I think in American Christian culture, we tend to think humility is, oh no, it's not about me. Well, that's actually just narcissism in a nicer outfit. That's not humility. That's still drawing all the attention to yourself. Woe is me is not humility. Rick Warren says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's just being so preoccupied with Jesus, being so distracted, so discombobulated by his kindness, his goodness, his accessibility, that we're just not very focused on ourselves anymore. I think humility is the key to intimacy with God. I think humility is necessary for worship. My posthumous pretend theological boyfriend, um, A.W. Tozier says it like this, He says, it takes humility to worship God acceptably. It takes humility to worship God acceptably. So, so it's, it's the, it's the, the way that we commune with God. It's the way we effectively, adequately worship God. I also think it's a harbinger for divine glory. Okay, so one of the things that stood out to me, Catherine, is her talking about after, you know, like 50 years of following Jesus. 
it's not about my capacity. It's about his compassion. And she had a lot of things to say about humility in that. And I think over the past couple of days, you and I have actually brought up the topic of humility quite a bit. We have. Maybe in roundabout ways, but it's interesting how this is a theme kind of God is putting on people's minds right now. Mm -hmm. And um, partly I feel like I'm thinking about humility because I need to cultivate it in my own life. Like I'm going to look at the log in my own eye for sure. But partly is I am seeing so much lack of humility in leaders around us, in the kind of the cultural moment. Yes. And you don't see humility being raised up as a virtue like perhaps it once was. Maybe I'm making that up that it Mm -hmm. once was, but Mm -hmm. you certainly don't see like a biblical godly humility as something being raised up as a virtue, even amongst like pastors, even amongst church leaders where godly humility should be at the forefront of all that's happening. Yes. So I, I appreciate Lisa Harper's kind of call back to this. And I appreciate that she's talking about like humility really is the beginning of like worship. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on humility in general? Oh, wow. I'm, oh, well, you know me, I always get pretty deep Yeah, and then I have a lot of thoughts, but oh, thank you. Um, I think it's interesting that you said, you know, take the log out of your own eye. And I think it's interesting that you commented on the, our leaders, because I think we love to talk about humility when we're wanting other people to be more humble around us, mm-hmm. which is sort of the opposite of humility, you know, mm-hmm. but I do think that any, any relationship or situation where we have any kind of power or leadership, um, if we are going to do that Christianly, we need to do it hu- with humility yeah. so that if, if I have seniority, then that means that yeah. I am washing the toilets more often. Yeah. And if I yeah. have, um, leadership, that means that I'm going to be the one making sure that your needs are met. Yeah. Um, and we don't, wow, how different would our country be mm-hmm. politically, religiously, if those in leadership truly saw themselves as the servant mm. of all yeah. rather than the power grabber of all. Yeah. Um, so I think we love humility in others, but we don't want it for yeah, ourselves, especially Yeah. And I think part of the reason why it's gone out of style is because we're aware of the ways that we've demanded humility Mm. from those who were lacking in power and lacking in autonomy. And we've realized that it can become a weapon Mm. of injustice. Mm. Um, But, you know, God, I think we talked about this last hour. God is not a toxic narcissist. Right. That didn't come out right. I can use words. You use words professionally. I do. God is not a toxic narcissist. Yeah. God took on the nature of a servant right. and became a human. Yeah. Um, so we can not be afraid to humble ourselves before the God who humbled himself Amen. before all of Amen. creation yeah. and know that we're not going to be taken advantage of. We are going to be loved with that compassion yeah. that she was talking about. So, oh my gosh, I went into a sermon. No, that's, I apologize. No, that's so good. Don't apologize for a sermon. I, you know, when Kevin and I actually wrote an article about this for uh, the better S- Samaritan over at Christianity today, but one of the things that Kevin and I, when we were in Zambia, there's a Zambian practice of, And some Pentecostal churches in America do this, but there's a Zambian practice of at church services, pastors, political leaders, the sort of like VIP that Mm, are visiting the mm. church in that morning, 
they get a special seat in the house. They get like a mm-hmm. couch, typically on a stage or at least at the front of the stage. And there's usually someone there serving them like tea and biscuits throughout mm-hmm. the whole church service. Mm-hmm. And so as uh, when Kevin and I were there in Zambia as special guests, as missionaries, as speakers, we were often invited to sit in this like special seat in the house. And I remember mm-hmm. our mentor at the time, Lawrence Tempway, who he he passed away from cancer a few years ago. But he would always say to us, when you are invited to those places, and it was so Jesus, I mean, it's right out of, mm-hmm, it's right out mm-hmm. of the New Testament. When you go to those places, do not take that seat. And we were wow. very afraid to because here we are Americans and we're wanting to be, yeah. we're wanting to practice humility by like going with the cultural yes. practice of the day. Yeah. But he was like, absolutely not. Because all of hmm. the, the only thing that does in our nation is breed one, a power distance between mm-hmm. leaders and the people, which is not a healthy power distance. Now, some cultures do have healthy power distances. This was not. And he was okay. saying that this... um it also just led to corruption because people were like vying for the quote unquote special wow. seat in the house, not out of humility, but out of like a, a false leadership, not a humble wow. leadership, not a servant leadership. And so he would never let us sit there. And wow. as these young sort of naive Americans were like, okay, you know, saying no yeah. to people inviting us was really, really hard. But he was like, if you're there to represent me, I want you there to represent Jesus. And wow. that means you do not take the best seat in the house because Jesus would not take the best seat in the house. And that was a massive lesson for us in our yes. early years of ministry yes. and formation that like you don't fight your way to the best seat in the house you let god bring you there in his yes. timing out of humility not out of like yes. pride or or struggling yes so i you know this we can talk about humility forever but i think that posture of humility really yes. is the beginning of wisdom and godliness and christ likeness certainly that's good that's good uh, it's the end of the show, but if you've missed any of today's show, we don't know why. What have you been doing? There's nothing better mm. than, you know, Catherine Mm-mm. and Aubrey on the air. But we'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast. We'd also love to invite you to find and follow us on social media. We are at Common Good Talk, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find and follow Catherine McNeil at... Catherine McNeil. Hey! <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my website. It's all Catherine McNeil. All Catherine McNeil. That's M-C-N-I-E-L. And you can find and yes. follow me at Obsamp. I'm mostly on Instagram these days, but I, I tend to mm. haunt the other places every once in a while. Um, okay, Catherine. So one of the things we have we have not really talked about the past couple days that you've been on here is the fact that you have been fighting COVID. Oh, I have been. And what a fight it has been. Yeah, so Talk to us about having, so you have missed out on all these other waves of COVID, but now you and your husband got it. Yep. This is my first time through. It's been two and a half years. I, even my children all had COVID one after the other. They fell like flies (laughs) back in the end of April. And, you know, we did kind of quarantine them in their Mm -hmm. rooms, but there are children, you know, we figured we'd get it from them, but we didn't. But then almost two weeks ago now, it was Thursday and this is Wednesday night. So my husband came home saying his HR department, let him know he'd been exposed and that he had a scratchy throat. Uh And then he got hit. And in 48 hours, I was writhing in the bed in pain. So yep. Sorry. It has not been fun. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm like literally the last person in the world to experience this. <laughs> you know who hasn't had it? Brian Fromm has not had what? COVID. His wife has had it. He hasn't. And my husband Kevin hasn't had it. 
So what? and our whole family has. So I'm your whole you, family has had it. Yeah. So this is wild. Okay. They're they're either okay. bound to get it or they're like they've got that super gene they're like and the they're going to be studied. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something. Something. Well, is Brian. Up. I'm going to leave my aura here in your chair, <laughs> but I am not leaving the COVID. Don't let Brian get the COVID. Okay, so nope. Catherine, how have you, you know, the funny thing about COVID, I guess it's not funny, but no. the thing about COVID is, you know, remember when we first heard of this thing called COVID and we thought oh my two goodness. weeks later, we'll be back to normal, right? Mm, well, I never thought that. but And yeah. then here, you know, well, church leaders were thinking two weeks later, we'll be back to having yeah. our normal yeah, church yeah. services. And then a month later, we were like, okay, maybe by Easter, we'll be opening up our church services again. And then, mm. you know, the world sort of opened up again. But here we are well over two years yeah. later and like people are still getting COVID. So, and I understand it may or may not be as serious as it once was. And yet you recently lost somebody very dear to you to COVID. And so there are instances in which it still is as deadly Mm -hmm. as it has been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, we see the variant changing and hopefully more and more people vaccinated and it's becoming an endemic instead of a pandemic and these kinds of Mm -hmm. things. So some of this is we're we're hopeful for the future. And yet every time I hear of COVID going around again, every time someone has to cancel plans with me because of COVID, I'm like, are you kidding me? when are we not going to yeah. deal with COVID anymore? So oh. I guess the question I have for you is one shallow level. How, okay. did you, how have you like endured and made it through the past, uh, you know, couple weeks, but I think on a deeper mm-hmm. level, how do all of us keep going mm-hmm. when this thing keeps going? Well, let me answer the deep question first. Okay. Cause you know, that's what I do, but, <laughs> um, you know, I have to say getting this virus so late in the game, has been so humbling for me. Interesting. And I, I'm going to be honest. I've I've been really sick. I posted on Twitter. Um, I've heard people say COVID felt like a really bad cold. I can now confirm that it did feel like a really, really bad cold on days 8 through 10. I was going to say, I don't ever remember it feeling like a really bad <laughs> but cold. But days... One through seven felt mm-hmm. like something else. Yeah, definitely. And I realize that some people have a more mild yeah. case than I had, yeah. but so many people had such a much worse case mm. under harder circumstances. Mm. And so I think both the, the knowledge that I was sort of going into battle with something that has killed millions of people mm. around the world, over a million people in our own country. Yeah more people than I can count on two hands that I know personally, mm. uh, that has been so humbling for me. Wow. And, um, I, I just truly felt humbled both by, um, the opportunity to experience hmm. something that has taken so much, yeah. which that sounds weird, but, but also knowing that I have such a high likelihood of surviving yeah. because so many people have worked so hard mm. to get us to this place. Wow, that's great, so, um, it's been really, it's been a really humbling experience yeah. for me. Um, but the shallower question, I gotta say the first couple of days I couldn't read or even watch television. Yeah. I could only lay in bed and stare at the ceiling. Oh. But as I have gotten to the place where I could kind of sit up in bed, mm-hmm. but couldn't yet walk across the room, yeah. I binged my all time favorite show, Superstore. Superstore! Yeah. And you know, 
as you know, I brought in my Superstore yeah, mug today, I, which you are, actually bought for me. I was thinking, I don't know if you remember buying me so this. So I do remember buying you that, but I had this yes. thought in my mind. Did I buy that for Catherine? Yeah, that seems you like did. me. You um, did. Because if our listeners super- can't see it, she's holding up her Superstore mug. But go ahead, I know Catherine. my listeners can't hear it but or see it. But uh, yeah, when Superstore was originally on NBC, I think it was, I loved, you loved it. it. You introduced it to me and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a good show. Catherine's not kidding. And so I needed something that was, I could kind of sleep through, yeah. you know, I was going to have to think too hard about, yeah. but I don't really like rewatching shows, Oh, interesting. but I thought, okay. I, I wonder if Superstore yeah. could live up to a second viewing and, and oh, it has. Really? Okay. So, yes. uh, so unpack that. What made it live up to? Well, I think it's <laughs> here. I'm talking, we, let's go from global pandemic <laughs> to we'll my favorite sitcom, we'll make it full circle. but, uh, it's, it's very funny, but it's funny in a smart way. Mm. And it is funny in a way that just nails the cultural moment and the cultural commentary in a way that I think is really intentionally made to kind of bring both sides together uh, of a cultural issue uh, and have them laugh at themselves yeah, together. Um, but then also the show just does an incredible job of showing the real diversity that we have mm-hmm. in the world. You know, like you can turn on like a medical drama show yeah. and see people of all different skin tones, but they're all really gorgeous. <laughs> they're all like supermodels. You know yeah, I mean? totally. But these are the people on Superstore are the people that you would kind of expect to see mm. if you went to Walmart. Yeah. They're, they're really the people... In your neighborhood, yeah. and um, in all of our difficult get difficulties of getting along with each other, but the two, I think one of the best things about this show is the two just definitively nice guys on the show. One of them is very right wing, mm-hmm. and the other one is very left wing, mm-hmm. and I mean laughably so. Yeah. Like half half of every episode is just laughing at how ridiculous <laughs> their extreme views on things are, but yet. They're so, they are the kindest, most loving guys on the show that everyone can't help but love them. Mm. And they can't help but love each other um, because that's so the the foundation of their ethic. Mm. Uh, So, but it's a sitcom, you know, but I I just enjoy, I just really enjoy. I would say that's Catherine's endorsement for Superstore. One thing that I appreciate Catherine about, about Superstore is they actually did end their season like just in the middle of slash coming out of yes, covid and they and addressed the pandemic COVID. and so they did that was interesting to watch like speaking of you mm-hmm. having covid is interesting to watch kind of a a cultural reference to this thing that we were yes. all going for and i think going back to our deeper question of what gives us strength to endure i think it goes back to what you're saying like there's a sense of community and a sense of like i need to fight through this because of what other people have been through. Mm-hmm. And then I also, I mean, I know it does sound silly, but I do think things like Superstore or think like for me, I watched How I Met Your Mother. I binged it when I had COVID. Like hmm. I think just joy and laughter, like kind of fighting for that and clinging to that in the middle of really, really painful things is actually yeah. more powerful than we think. So I appreciate that you're telling people like, it's a smart, funny show. You know, you can, yeah. you can find, I think we all need doses of comedy in the middle of yes. our, our long-term our long-term uh, experience with this thing called the covid all right well <laughs> Catherine, thanks for being with us the past couple days i have loved it thanks so much for having yeah, me it has been so good to have you i will not be back tomorrow Catherine will not be back tomorrow but brian from uh. will be back tomorrow and friday for you 
Uh, So hopefully you have a great next few days with Brian. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.